Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. You know, this is, this is one of those times, worship service, that has been worshipful, prayerful, exciting. Uh, the choir was amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, Kayla singing, beautiful young lady with a beautiful voice. Bob reading scripture, the praise band. It's one of those times where I think, you know, we could just pray and go home. But don't you dare. <laughs> but it has been, isn't it? Uh, I am just so thankful for worship, for music, for words, for talents, for gifts. And I am so thankful that now you're going to allow me just a few minutes to share a few words. Because I love that. I love the opportunity to talk to you about Jesus Christ and what he tells us in his word. Now, I want to remind you that two months ago, about eight weeks ago, I started a series on the foundation of the church, and that being the rock, as in Jesus Christ, the foundation on which he builds his church. And we have talked about several things that Scripture has shown us and that Jesus teaches us about our own personal growth as Christian men and women and families and the growth and the health of King's Grand Baptist Church. I pray that you will remember those things. Now, I know we have so much going on that we forget. I do. You do. We all do. However, these are things that are far above any other important things in our lives. Because we've talked about prayer, we've talked about worship, we've talked about fellowship, we've talked about ministry servanthood, we've talked about loving God, ourselves, and each other. And last week I talked to you about being disciples so that we could make disciples. And I want very much to share with you again today some scripture that we've already talked about a little bit. In fact, I have to tell you that God and I have had a bit of a wrestling match. Now, fortunately, he always wins. <laughs> but uh, a week or two ago, when I got to thinking about this last message that I would share with you today on this series, he impressed me that I was to go back into the book of Acts, the first, second chapter, which we've already talked about about four weeks ago, related to fellowship, which is certainly applicable to fellowship, but that he wanted me to go back and lay that foundation and then talk about chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 14. No, I'm not going to talk about the whole book of Acts today, folks. We'd be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon. So... However, I wrestled a bit with him, and I said, Lord, I've already talked a lot about that passage of Scripture. And he said, well, there's more for you to talk about and more for them to, to hear, and repetition is a good thing. And like I say, we wrestle back and forth, but I'm so pleased and so thankful that he leads and he shows me what I'm supposed to say to you. So we go back and we look at this whole powerful element 2,000 years ago of the church being born 
and how they were excited and passionate and obedient to Almighty God, to Jesus Christ, to his word, and what he was saying, and in fact, commanding. Remember last week I said, God doesn't talk in iffy language. Jesus didn't say, maybe you ought to go and make disciples. He said, therefore, based on my authority given to me in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have taught you. Now, again, folks, that is a commandment. That's not an option. That's part of what we're to do. And part of what I am saying to you today and part of what I want you to grasp is that the foundation, the beginning, the birth days, and the launching of the church was based on all of this. Those people 2,000 years ago were obedient. They did what Jesus said for them to do. Now, I have to say to you, I believe that they were desperate. Now, why would I say that? They have spent three, four years with Jesus Christ. He has been right there in the midst. They've already, just six weeks ago, been through the crucifixion. Can you imagine watching Jesus being hung on a cross? I don't think any of us can even imagine the horror that that would be. They have seen him, his followers, his disciples, have seen him die. I mean, dead. But three days later, they know that he walked out of the the tomb with a smile on his face because he had won the victory over death. And then for 40 days, he was with them. He proved, he showed himself to be alive. And they were thrilled about that, even though they still didn't totally understand it. They still doubted occasionally. But now he has commanded them to go and make disciples, and then he gives them another command, that you're to stay in Jerusalem. Now remember, these people were not from Jerusalem. They were from Judea and Galilee, other regions of the Holy Land. But he commanded them, you stay in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that my father is going to send you. Jesus said this to them. And then he said, and when you receive power and it comes upon you in the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. These were his commands. And they were desperate to hang on because just after he gave that last command, he ascended into heaven. He was gone. But they said, we've got to hang on. And it seems that out of their desperation came something powerful called passion and obedience and fellowship, meaning that they wanted to do exactly what their master, teacher, and Lord had said for them to do. And so, please, as you listen to this, and I'm going to enjoy, appreciate telling this story and reminding you of it, but do not, please do not take it just as a story. And, and 
do not take it as some sort of historical lesson. It is a great story, one of the greatest that I know of. And it is a history. It is part of God's history. But it is so much more. And so I pray that every person in the room, myself included, will take this story of these people 2,000 years ago and them moving into making disciples, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will take it personally, that you as a man, a woman, as families, as a church family, that you will become passionate, that you will know that this is what we're supposed to do. It's not an option. It's not just a trivial point. It is the, the lifeblood of God's kingdom and also the lifeblood of King's Grant Baptist Church. And so, therefore, follow these people. They go back to Jerusalem. Now, we know, Scripture tells us, that they went back in unity, very important word, they all went back and went to that upper room and they prayed. Now, how long did they pray? For just a little while? For 10 minutes? I think the Bible says constantly, and a lot of people that know more about it than I do, have decided that they prayed for 10 days. They prayed in obedience and passion and unity. And then the prayers were answered because we're told that the Holy Spirit descended on them in tongues of fire and in a rushing wind. And they began to praise God and proclaim. That's the key word for today, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and his love and his forgiveness and his freedom. And not only did they proclaim that, but they proclaimed it in all sorts of other languages. Remember, the, the city of Jerusalem was filled that day on the day of Pentecost with people from all over the known world at that time. There were people from Egypt. There were people from Phrygia, from Pamphylia, from Arabia, from Rome, from all sorts of places. And so now these people are speaking in all of these languages, proclaiming the good news of, Je of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter has now moved to the forefront and Peter is going to lead out and he's going to speak because some of those people in the streets were looking at the disciples and the believers and saying, well, they're just drunk. And Peter got up to tell them that no, they were not drunk. But one of the things Peter says, and it's right there in Scripture, he says, people of Jerusalem, people here in Jerusalem, please Listen to what I say. Now, his next statement was, these people are not drunk. But I'm going back to him saying, please least to listen to what I have to say. Because, whether Peter knew it or not, he was about to preach his first sermon. First sermon he's ever preached in his life. Now, he had walked with Jesus for those years, but he had never preached. He was just a rugged old hard-talking fisherman. But now he preached and proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ. And he made that great statement toward the end of his sermon where he said, All of Israel, please be assured, 
that Almighty God has made Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Christ. And that was something that the Jewish people had been hanging on to. And Scripture tells us that that phrase from Peter cut them to their hearts. It impacted them deep in their spirits. And they cried out to Peter and the other apostles, what must we do to be saved? And Peter and everybody else said, you must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we're told that the people that believed his message were converted to an acceptance of Jesus Christ. And that day, one day, 3,000 people believed and were baptized. Now that's enough to say amen and hallelujah to. And for me to get a drink of water. Because that launches this whole experience of the new church. And the new church, again, is carrying the passion and the excitement and the, the energy of all the apostles and the believers in Jesus Christ. Now there are 3,120 people in the church. But they're about to start a firestorm of belief. And I want to emphasize that because it just sweeps through Jerusalem for the next, most people say this all took place over the next eight years. But it is a firestorm and it comes from this nucleus of people that came on the day of Pentecost. Now, very powerful two verses in the, right at the end of the second chapter of Acts because it says every day they continued to meet in the temple courts and they broke bread together in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, enjoying the favor of all of the people. That means all the people in Jerusalem. And the Lord added to their number daily everybody that was being saved. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. Here we've got these new people. They're, some of the people, remember, are not from Jerusalem. They're from all these other countries. And it seems likely they decided to stay in Jerusalem. And so now they're living with other believers there in Jerusalem. They're living in communities. They're living in neighborhoods. And it says every day they go to the temple courts. By the way, they went to Solomon's porch. I really like the name, folks. They went to Solomon's porch to gather. That was their meeting place, kind of like this building is King's Grant's meeting place. But they went to Solomon's porch. And they went once a week, once every two weeks, every day. And now I want you to think about this. If they were living in neighborhoods and houses in the communities out in the city of Jerusalem, they would get up in the morning. They would have their breakfast. They would all be fellowshipping and being together. Remember, they're excited. They're pleased. They're fellowshipping. They're enjoying. 
they're shouting, they're singing, they're doing all sorts of wonderful things. And they have their breakfast, and then some are going off to responsibilities, to jobs a few of them had. But some of them, many of them, are going to Solomon's porch there on the side of the temple. Now what happens is they pour out of their homes where they're living. And how did they get to the temple to Solomon's porch? They didn't have buses or cars. How did they get there? They walked. Now here you have hundreds of people pouring out into the streets of Jerusalem. Thousands of people pouring out, going to the temple. Folks, it's a parade. They're a parade of wonderful, exciting believers in Jesus Christ. Now, do you think they're walking along like this? No. They're excited. They're shouting. They're singing. They're laughing. They're smiling. They're praising God as they go. They're thrilled to be a part of the, this new thing. They don't even know what to call it yet. They weren't called Christians then. That was sometime later. They were not sure what a church was. I don't even know that they used the term. But they were thrilled to be a part of Jesus Christ. And they went to the temple courts. They went to Solomon's porch. And there they were taught. Now, let me ask you this. Were they taught Bible studies? Sermons preached? Scripture read? What do you think? They didn't have Bibles, folks. They couldn't have had a Bible study. There were, not, there were some scrolls in the synagogues of the Old Testament, but this was much different than what you and I experienced. And what they were taught was the experiencing of Jesus Christ. Because the apostles, the 12 apostles, were their teachers. And they, the 12 apostles spoke there in Solomon's porch to all of them. Now, some, sometimes they broke into small groups. And 12 small groups throughout the whole region, they were told about Jesus. The apostles told them stories and what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived. And they had one objective in this great experience, and that was to experience Jesus Christ. Now, I want to sit there for just a minute. Just think about that. Sometimes we get distracted, not with bad things. No, no, no. I love the church. I love the local church. I love Bible studies. But the center of it is to experience Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the rock. And that's what these people did. That was where their passion came from. It was supernatural. And so now they're in Solomon's porch. They're there every day. But then they, they finish about 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And what happens next? They pour out of Solomon's porch. And they hit the streets again. And here's the parade again. Now remember that people, remember what it said? And they experienced and enjoyed the favor of all the people. What does that mean? That means the people of Jerusalem were in favor of whatever was going on. 
at least most of the people. Now, there were some scoffers, but people would look at these excited, smiling, laughing, shouting, praising believers and say, there's something different about those people. And in their very behavior, they were proclaiming the good news, the, the truth, if you would, of Jesus Christ. Now, they would head on to their homes, the houses where they were living. The evening meal would be prepared. Happiness, joy. I don't know who did the dishes, but happiness and joy. They were experiencing great things because of Jesus Christ and the freedom that was in their heart. And then here's the really important thing. Somebody then would take out the bread and the wine. Remember, they broke bread in their homes. That doesn't refer to eating the evening meal. That refers to the Last Supper, to the, the memorial that you and I experience once a month. But they did it sometimes every evening because they were so excited and so involved with this whole story of Jesus Christ. And so even in their neighborhoods, in their homes, they were proclaiming the joy and the freedom and the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I just want to ask you, how many of you have had a meal in your home of that nature in the last six months where you had 10, 15, 20, 30 of your brothers and sisters and you did it with celebration and joy and you broke bread. You had the, the wine and the cup, I mean the bread, and you celebrated the memory of, of Jesus Christ. I don't know that we do that, but maybe we should. Proclaiming the name and the truth of Jesus Christ. Now it goes on. Remember there is a wave that has started in Jerusalem. There's a firestorm of belief and passion for this Jesus Christ. However, there are some people that oppose it. Because the story in the third chapter of Acts shows us Peter and John going to the temple. And they encounter a crippled beggar laying at the beautiful gate going into the temple. Now, everybody knows this beggar. Everybody knows he's been there for years and years and years. And as Peter and John come up to the temple, the beggar looks at them. They look at the beggar. And the beggar wants money from them, wants alms. You know this story. Peter walks up to him and says, Sir, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have I give you gladly in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. Now remember, the apostles are now spiritually powerful men. And this beggar stands up and he walks, and he jumps, and he runs, and he praises God, and he's excited about what Peter has just given him. And Peter is surrounded now by a crowd. And so what does Peter do? He's gotten into the groove, folks. So he preaches. He loves to preach now and declare the name of Jesus Christ and to share it with other people. However, 
Some of the Jewish leaders don't like this. And now persecution enters this whole picture. Arrests and questioning and bringing Peter and John and later on all the apostles before the Sanhedrin. That is the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all of the Jewish leaders that are in charge of the Jewish community. And they question Peter. And they want to know by what name and by what power has this man been healed. And Peter loves that. Now I want you to put yourself in that place. Persecution, challenge. People are angry. There's 70 men, part of the Sanhedrin. 70 rulers, wealthy, powerful men. And now they're saying, Peter, how'd you do this? What happened here? And he's put on the spot. But he is ready for that because of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you're asking about any kindness that we have shown to this man, then you have to understand it is through and by the power and by the name of Jesus Christ. And here's a great statement because Peter says this. Because... Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Peter always puts in the fact, not just of what happened, but what can happen, that any of us can be saved through the name of Jesus Christ. Well, the fact is, is that these the folks in the Sanhedrin were still not satisfied. But, now listen carefully to this because this is very important. It will show something up a little bit later. They said, the Sanhedrin said, Peter and John are men of courage. They're just ordinary, uneducated men. However, and here's the note, Scripture says the Sanhedrin took note of the fact that these men had walked with Jesus Christ. But the Sanhedrin told Peter and, and John, you must not teach in Jesus' name anymore. You cannot talk about this man, Jesus Christ. You must cease and desist. Did they? No. Peter and John say, you have to understand, we must obey God. And we must, we will speak of what we have seen and heard and know. Amen? You too. Remember, it's for us. It's not just a story. Now, the Sanhedrin couldn't do anything further with that. And so they told him again, stop your teaching about Jesus Christ. And they let Peter and John go. Scripture tells us that Peter and John went back to their people where the people were meeting. Now, where did they go? Solomon's porch. They went back to the temple. And a beautiful thing happens here. Remember, Peter and John have now been called on the carpet, tried, so to speak, questioned, put on the spot. They go back and they speak to their people and they tell them exactly what happened. And everybody in Solomon's porch, Scripture says that they raise their hand in praise and prayer. Now they prayed thanking God for allowing them to suffer and to, to 
be called out for the name of Jesus Christ. What would you and I do in this kind of case? We might run from it. We might run and hide. We might shy away from it. But these people praised and prayed and they thanked God. And then they asked God to protect them and to, to know the threats that were coming on them. And then a very powerful statement right there at the end of chapter 4. It says, the prayer was so powerful that the building shook. The building shook. I hesitate, not because I forgot anything, but I was wondering if the building's going to shake. I wish it would. Because this was the power of Jesus Christ, the proclaiming the good news of Jesus, Peter and John doing that. Now, it continues because at next, the apostles were doing wondrous things. Remember, it says that the apostles were doing wondrous things, wondrous signs and miracles. And they were healing people. And it was saying that now there were 5,000 men in the, the believers group. There may have been 10,000 people by now. 3,000 have moved up over the weeks. And no telling how many people. But as Peter and John and the rest of the apostles are healing and doing wondrous signs and wonderful, wondrous miracles, here come the Sanhedrin again. It says the Jewish leaders were jealous. They didn't want all this power going on for Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders wanted to be in power. But they were jealous. And so they arrested all 12. Now... Please stay because you remember you're a disciple. I'm a disciple. We're followers of Jesus Christ. How many people in here have ever been arrested for the name of Jesus Christ? I'm going to put my hand down. I've been persecuted. I've been challenged. I've been accused. Hallelujah. But I've never been arrested. Now they're arrested and they're thrown in jail. And scripture tells us that an angel came and unlocked the door. And the angel said, you go out. And the angel commanded them to go back into the temple courts and to teach the people about Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but in my humanness, I think if I was in jail and under this kind of attack and persecution, and I was released and freed to go out, I might keep right on going. Now, I said in my humanness, and you may keep right on going also, but remember the passion, remember the obedience, remember the fact that these people, like you and I should be, they were following what was commanded them. And the angel said, go back to the temple courts and teach. Now, Scripture tells us that not only did they go back to the, the temple courts, but they went at daybreak. Now, they were in jail overnight. They were released from the jail. They went back at daybreak. They didn't sleep late. They didn't take a break. They went back at daybreak and began to teach because 
they were obedient and passionate to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And sure enough, they're arrested again. They're brought before Sanhedrin. And they're told to not do any more of this teaching about Jesus Christ. And they do the same thing. We must, we are going to speak of that which we have seen and know and heard. And scripture tells us that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, wanted to kill the apostles. Now it's getting even more serious. But they were saved by a man by the name of Gamaliel, who was a, a Jewish rabbi. And he spoke on behalf of the apostles. And again, they were delivered and they flogged them. You ever thought about that term? Have you ever been whipped with a bullwhip? It's worse than that, I'm sure. I haven't. Jesus was. Now they are, they're flogged, but they go out thrilled. Listen to that. They go out thrilled that they could be beaten and punished because of the name of Jesus Christ. They're thrilled that they suffer persecution. What about you and me? <laughs> If you have, are you th have you been thrilled? If persecution comes, will you be thrilled? It may be coming. And so now they are out again. And scripture tells us, and this is very important, from house to house and in the temple courts, they never stopped proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Throughout the city of Jerusalem, they were telling people about Jesus. And they went on and on and on, and it continues. If you don't, if you've never studied the book of Acts, go home today and read some of the most exciting stuff in the Bible. Because this is thrilling to see the power and the truth and the passion and the obedience of these people 2,000 years ago. It is inspirational. Now, we could talk about the seven that were just chosen to minister to the people. We could talk about Stephen and Philip and how they spread the word. In fact, Stephen is such a great man, uh, a, a Jesus man, because he was stoned. He was killed because of the name of Jesus. But he stood and saw, he said, I see the gates of heaven open wide and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, standing at the right hand of the Father. Now I want to remind you of something. Who was there when Stephen was stoned? Paul. His name was Saul at the time. I want to contend and, and tell you that I believe that when Saul, a young man, zealous for the Jewish faith, persecuting the church, angry at Jesus Christ because he had turned everything upside down. When he saw and heard the message from Stephen, this first martyr for the church, when he realized the spirit, there was something in him right there that day that came into fruition. The fruit was born in chapter 9 of Acts when Paul, Saul on the Damascus Road, experienced the very presence and vision of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul was called into the family of God. And the rest of the New Testament is mainly based on Paul. And I think it started with the martyr Stephen because Stephen was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know how exciting this is? Do you know what responsibility? These were our ancestors. These were the people on whose shoulders we stand as Christian men and women. And I am saying to myself and to all of us, how dare we not pay attention to this legacy? I'm going to finish today. I could just go on and on. I love these stories. I love the power and the unity and the celebration. But I'm going to finish today with another verse of Scripture. It's not in the book of Acts. It's in 1 Peter. But it's one of my favorites. It's such a powerful statement. It's 1 Peter 2.9. It says, You're a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's own people so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because that's what we've been talking about. That's what these people did. And that is what God is commanding commanding you and I, and that is to declare the praises of him, Jesus Christ, who called you out of, his, out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a chosen people. Do you understand that? You're a royal priesthood. That means we're children of the king, that we're part of the kingdom royally. And we're a holy nation as Christian believers. Holy is made righteous through the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. And we are to move and declare the wonderful things of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Please do not let these words, not because they're mine, they're not mine. <laughs> They're the, the words of, of the Holy Spirit. They're the words of the Bible. They're the words of Almighty God. They're the words that he's given us to pay attention to. And so please don't leave them laying on the floor here. Put them in your heart, in your mind. Take them with you. Think about them. Study them. Do something with them as disciples so that you and I can go and make disciples. Now, I'm going to pray in just a moment to finish. But at the end of my prayer, I ask you to remain seated because I will turn the microphone over to Pastor Scott. And there are a couple of very, very important church items that just need to be announced and taken care of. And we'd like for you to remain for just a moment. So would you pray with me right now, please? Father, we're so deeply thankful that through your word through this wonderful book we call the Bible that you have preserved 
these words of story, but these words of wisdom, of truth, of forgiveness, of freedom. But in them you also have given us the commands by which we're to live, that we are to go. We're to be about your work, the kingdom work. Father, sometimes and we confess that we get all distracted. We get so wrapped up in so many other kinds of things, even, even in this good church. And I just pray so earnestly for us, for Kings Grant Baptist Church, to be your people, obedient to your commands, excited about the journey on which you have us, thrilled to be speaking in the name of Jesus and for the name of Jesus. What a privilege we have of being chosen that you have asked us commanded us, brought us into this work. And I'm so thankful for this church. And I'm so thankful that I've been able to share with them. And I pray so earnestly for everything that is a part of King's Grand Baptist Church. And I thank you. I thank you. I thank you on behalf of all of us for your wonderful love and forgiveness. And we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.